You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. As part of the Republic of Football podcast feed with Dave Campbell's. If you're in Lubbock this weekend for the Oregon game, you can gear up for the stripe out at Cardinals. You can get white and red Texas Tech gear. You can also now get uh, a white gambling gauchos hat. You can get the black hat that Kyle has on. You can get a quarter zip. You can get a red It's All West Texas shirt. You can get a black gambling gauchos shirt. They're all stocked. They're all live at the Cardinals Sports Center, live in Lubbock and online, mycardinalsports.com. If you're looking for gambling gauchos merch at Cardinals Online, go up to the top, uh, click local collections, and then click Lubbock collections, and it'll be in there with the gambling gauchos. You kind of got to do a couple of clicks, or you can search gambling gauchos there on the website. MyCardinalSports.com, Oregon, live and in person, right outside the loop on Slide Road in Lubbock, Texas. Kyle, how you doing? Good, just trying to unmute my microphone. That's all. That's all right. That's all right. We, you did it. I can hear you. Right-clicked on it, had to unclick the right-click, and then click on it again. That's all right. Nobody would have noticed. It's been a Monday. It has. It has been a Monday. Uh, all right, we're just days away from the Oregon game. I do want to say on Friday night, live at the Blue Light, Kyle and I will be present and accounted for, talking a little Texas Tech and Oregon as well. We'll kind of do a double preview this week. I might do a light preview today and save a lot of the bulky stuff for Friday. We'll see. Uh, but we'll do two previews this week. That one will be a live show at the Blue Light At 8 o'clock, the doors will open. At 8.45, Kyle and I will do a live podcast in front of the masses. Packed house, we hope. And then Aiden Logston and Mason in the gin line will both play shows Friday night after our live podcast. It'll be live podcast, Aiden Logston, Mason in the gin line. Live at the Blue Light, $12 cover. It's going to be a great time. We hope to see you there. Since it's Texas country, you want to know one of my favorite lines in a Texas country song? I would love to know. Whiskey Myers, summer 2005. There's a line in there that says, they say we got no lives and we play too loud. They can kiss our ass because we're on stage now. I can't sing. I can't dance. Never thought there would be any scenario where I was on stage at the blue light. And I, you know, Will not be up there to sing, thank goodness for everybody. But it's still cool. We're doing a live show at a historic venue there in the Lubbock Depot district. So I'm looking forward to it. Hope to see a lot of you out there. Would love to meet some of y'all if we if you've followed along, listened along for a while, and we haven't had the chance to meet at a tailgate or a game yet. Come to the Blue Light Friday night if you're in Lubbock already. 
and I would love to get to meet some of our listeners. Our last show we did live at a bar, we uh, had listeners come up and talk to us. We may or may not be doing that uh, this time, so if you want a chance to get on the pot, show up, and uh, we'll see if we can do that again. Yeah, if the setup allows, we'd love to get some score predictions up there. Speaking of score predictions, let's dive right into the game, Kyle. Hey, before we do, yeah, I left something out in the Wyoming recap, and so I have one more Wyoming note, and then okay. we can flush it and leave it behind. We got a lot of compliments on the interview we did with Cody from 7220 Sports, and our instant reaction after talking to him was like, hey, kind of second-guessing what we were thinking going in. Ultimately, he didn't persuade us enough, and we probably should have listened more, but he hit quite a bit of nails on their heads during that interview. And so I don't know if he might have listened to our Wyoming recap. He's probably not listening to this one, but Cody from 7220 nailed it. We all should have listened a little bit more. And, you know, he was confident that they were going to cover. He said, I won't be surprised if they win. And he crushed it. So shout out to Cody. And hope he hears this. Maybe we'll send it to him. But we uh, we owe him a tip of the hat for sure. And he also had the uh, the Missouri vibes comment. And at 17, well, at 14 to nothing, I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> I'm down there on the end zone. Like, ah, oh, this is nothing like Missouri. And in fact, it exa- exactly like Missouri because they took a lead even, uh, also. And, yeah, he's, uh, he said Mizzou went up either 14-0, maybe even 17-0, just like us. And then well, Wyoming went on, I think, a 28-0 run. In our game, it was a 20-0 run. And I think his final score prediction when we asked him, he was like, oh, I'll just go with the same score as Mizzou, 37-33, and it was 35-33. So yeah. the guy couldn't have been more nails on that, and we owe him a tip of the hat. I hate that he was right, but uh, he was right. He was. All right, so now we can flush Wyoming? Yes, it's gone. It's in the past. What's next? Uh, what's next? A comment here, a couple of them. I hate that guy for being right. He called the 17-point comeback. Um. I hate Mondays. There's a comment. Uh, the cognitive dissonance between the Kyle pick and the Rob pick is chef's kiss. I feel like that nails our podcast too. We're quite a bit different. The same, but different. Uh, a comment, not about Texas tech kind of, uh, the Rangers are making me dead inside. I need the sports gods to help me out with the Texas tech win this weekend. I do too. I need a win. I've, I've experienced many losses in the last month. I need a win. Do you think when it was 17-0, Cody was on the other side going, got him right where we want him? Yes, I think he was. Okay, all right, now I'm done with it. I'm done with Wyoming. All right. What's next? That smug jack wagon. <laughs> um, all right, what's next? Oregon is next. Uh, you and I have been um, doing a lot of interviews this offseason. Uh, but we're going to take this one ourselves. Oregon, in my opinion, is an opportunity for Texas Tech to just do what Texas Tech needs to do. It's not about Oregon this weekend. It's about Texas Tech. Win or lose, you have to prove some things because as an underdog, you've been much better under Joey McGuire than you have been as a favorite. You've had more opportunities as an underdog. Um, but I feel like, especially as a home dog, you have been able to go out and prove yourself time and again. You have an opportunity this weekend to do that as well. Yeah. Um, 
a little bit of a call out to our fellow content creators that cover Oregon. They went 0 for 4. We tried to get somebody on the podcast, and apparently they're a little too good for that. So I was I was just gonna say that we were doing that on purpose. No, uh, and I think that's just bad. I don't know if there's unwritten rules to podcasting. If you can't make it because you're busy, what? Fine. Like there's a two hour times on it, whatever. But don't just leave me on red like that. So anyway, they're too good for us on the podcast. Hopefully, they're not too good for us between the lines. But I agree with you. Like this is a game. Obviously, you've got to scout your opponent. And, you know, like Sun Tzu and Mike Leach said, where your opponent is weak is where you strike. Probably not quoting that exactly. Um, But, yeah, it's it's more about how you respond. And the Wyoming loss, you got some comments from Wyoming fans that were like, hey, y'all didn't give enough credit to Wyoming. I think we did. I mean, we said that Peasley made the good hot read on fourth down and double overtime and credited them for not, you know, folding when it was 17-0 stopping the run, but also a lot of it was about Texas Tech's mistakes and like the penalties were on Tech, the nine straight drives without a score or a first down were on Tech, at least to some extent. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's more about what is our team's mental state? Can they recover from a loss? And what is our execution? What is our play calling? What does our game plan look like? Oregon's a really good team. What they do on the field is going to matter, but I think what we do is going to matter even more given the current circumstances of coming off the week one loss at Wyoming. Uh, the first comment here about the Oregon Ducks, what, what are the keys to the game when Texas Tech is on defense? I think that leads us to uh, one of the main points here is bodacious. Uh, I think you said before the podcast they returned 63% of their production. I think they return five or six offensive starters, but 65% of offensive production. And it's actually the same on defense. I think they returned seven starters on defense, 65% of production. So they're getting about two-thirds back on both sides of the ball. Um, It's kind of a healthy balance there of experience, but also about a third of your production you can try to upgrade or whatever through the portal. So, yeah, good team last year, I think 10-3 and after the bowl game. Just missed – a berth in the Pac-12 championship game, and it looks like they've got most of that coming back, including their most important player, one of the Heisman front runners, Bo Nix, in his fifth year now of college football, I believe. Sixth? Sixth year, is it really? Oh. Um, I could double-check that. I think he was a true freshman at Auburn in 2019, but either way, ex- an experienced quarterback who's played at the highest level, put up monster numbers last year, uh, do you want me to give a quick previous best I can of Oregon's offensive philosophy? Yes, let's do it. So this is uh, this is all from last year because they've only played one game this year against an FCS opponent. And their offensive coordinator last year was Kenny Dillingham. He's now the head coach at Arizona State. So I would imagine they probably are going to keep things similar philosophically, but it may not be exact because they have a new offensive coordinator who actually came from UTSA. I want to touch on that in a minute. But last year, they were actually a run-first team, about a 55-45 split run pass. Uh, they they run a lot of plays like you do. Uh, th- their first game of the season was against Georgia. They got smoked. But besides that, after week one, there was almost no slowing them down. Like their two worst outputs were 5.6 yards per play in a three-point win against Utah 
and 5.7 yards per play in a four-point loss on the road at Oregon State. I think besides that, every single game and Georgia, besides Georgia, was 6.7 or more. So they're basically, unless they're at their very worst, playing like a bottom two or three type performance of the season, they're going to be at around seven yards per play. Their their quarterback, Bo Nix, again, besides Georgia, he had one game where he threw below 66% completion rate. And so he's, he's just a guy, I think he's good enough that you're not going to, you're not going to rattle this cage and make him play a bad game. It's just a matter of don't let this game be like one of his Heisman moments where he throws for 450 yards or something. He threw multiple touchdown passes in all but two games besides Georgia. And besides the Georgia game, Oregon as a whole, they turned the ball over more than once in a game just twice. With as many plays as they're running, one turnover is kind of expected. That's not abnormal. But they protected the football pretty well, only two games um, with more than one turnover. They were fifth in yards per play last year on offense. Do you want to guess what Texas Tech was in that same stat, yards per play? Ranking-wise? Yeah. What what were they nationally? Oh, man, 52nd. 94th. Whoa. Yeah, bad. You ran a lot of plays, but Yeah. Um, Oregon's offense in points per play, 13th nationally, Texas Tech 77th. I think that more or less covers the offense. This is more of a team-wide statistic, more of a we-fence than an offense or defense. Shout out Jim Harbaugh. Shout out. They did commit a lot of penalties. Uh, They only had two games with fewer than five penalties last year, and they were 96th nationally in penalties per game. Now, you could say, well, they run a lot of plays. Well, there are other up-tempo offenses that were way more disciplined. Texas Tech, for reference, was 44th in penalties last year. Penalties, big deal in the Wyoming loss. And so that is certainly a metric that I'm looking at that doesn't necessarily have to do with offensive or defensive X's and O's, just which team can either team set themselves apart in terms of penalties committed. Uh, This is a battle of fifth-year quarterbacks, Bo Nix versus Tyler Shuck. Uh, not all fifth-year quarterbacks are built the same. Bo Nix has 48 starts under his belt. Tyler Shuck has 19. So 48 career starts versus 19 career starts. He's played in more games than that. But as far as starts go, well, he's really only started 18 games because he came in uh, for the TCU game. Yeah. So 18 career starts versus 48. What I noticed from Oregon's offense against Portland State and taking all of that with a grain of salt because it's an FCS opponent, they should be able to line up and do whatever they want to do. But honestly, it reminded me a little bit of the Ole Miss offense, though they will use a tight end quite a bit. Uh, Maybe not even in like a traditional hand down on the end of the line of scrimmage since like sometimes he's off the line as I guess more of what you'd call an H back or a wing back, but they had a lot of formations with the tight end. They'll motion across the formation across the backfield a lot, just like Ole Miss. Ole Miss did that on nearly every play. They, they go vertical. They have two running backs. It looks like that are maybe co number ones. And, uh, I think their scheme is good. Like a lot of Bo Nix's highlights, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but he's showing the guys that are pretty open. That's something we talked about from 
Tech versus Wyoming. So a lot of those throws were guy was covered and you throw a good back shoulder. You give Jaden York a jump ball in the end zone. We weren't scheming guys open. We were just allowing guys to make a play. And, and not to suggest that Oregon doesn't have pass catchers that can make a play one-on-one like that. But schematically, it looks like they are able to get guys open and Nick's hits a lot of those reads. And when they're open, he doesn't miss them. So it's going to be on our secondary to not lose guys in coverage, make sure they know their assignment. Because Oregon seems pretty good at, at getting guys pretty open downfield. Uh, and this is a, an offensive coordinator who was a high school coach in, I think in 2019, I think he was at Lake Travis. And then in 2020, he joined UTSA. So he's been the offensive coordinator at UTSA uh, 2020 through 2022. So it was kind of a young guy, or at least uh, new to college football. But if you've watched UTSA in the last couple of years and enjoyed their offense, you're going to enjoy Oregon's offense as well. Yeah, and if you've got time this week, go to YouTube. I'm not sure if there's a full game anywhere, but there's at least highlights. Western Kentucky, where Zach Kittley was OC in 2021, played UTSA, where Will Stein was offensive coordinator in the Conference USA Championship game. And I think they actually – it was a rematch of a regular season game. So there might be YouTube clips of these offensive coordinators going at it twice in one season from 2021 uh, before arriving at their at their current stops. So anyway, just throwing that out there if somebody wants to know. That was in the Six Degrees thread, but maybe we can find the YouTube highlights from one or both of those games and put them out there. But yeah, very very young guy, just like Kidley, who's kind of skyrocketed through the coaching ranks over the last few years. By the way, Kyle, I want to compliment you on these Six Degrees threads. They're one of my favorite things you do every week. Um, the Mike Mitchell spot today, the spark comment made me laugh out loud. Yeah, some of the connections are pretty obvious. Like yeah. when a guy plays at both schools or used to be on staff at one school, and now he's some of them, like you have to read through, okay, notable alumni. Oh, an Oregon guy invented Spark. Is there a Texas Tech Spark connection? Yes, there is. Mike Mitchell was like, I don't even know if he played at Tech. I know he was on the roster. I know he was on the practice squad while redshirting. But so, yeah, stuff like that is so funny to find, like the most random connection that nobody knows or cares about. But uh, yeah, I enjoy compiling those. Elite. That that was an elite to uh, grab there, Mike Mitchell. It's like hard to even find a picture of Mike Mitchell in a Texas Tech jersey. There, there was that one, which is like his official roster portrait. There's one from like spring practice. I guess the rest of them are, are from like high school or Ohio State. But yeah, Texas Tech legend Mike Mitchell. How that guy never got on the field is beyond me with the obviously athleticism. Uh, and then he just never played. It was funny oh, too. Uh, when I was reading about him breaking that record in 2012, a guy that he was mentioned next to from that 2012 camp where he set the record. Cause I'm thinking to myself like, okay, maybe this is just a junk rating and it doesn't project athleticism at all. But he was one, two with another guy named Alvin Kamara ah. pro bowler in the NFL. So it's like, okay, this can't be totally worthless. But yeah. That guy didn't pan out. Alvin Kamara became a superstar. So anyway, Went to uh, Tennessee, Alvin Kamara. Was he at Alabama first and then Tennessee or vice versa? I think maybe Alabama first and then Tennessee. Pretty good uh, lineage there. Yeah. And then shout out to the creator of our uh, our logo, Brian Don Carlos. Yeah, grad school at Oregon. Maybe he doesn't want that promoted too much this week. But, uh, yeah, we I feel like we took a huge step forward when we went from using – a emoji of you in a sombrero 
as cool as that looked to an actual logo. So now we got this stuff on merch and everything and shout out to Brian for setting those up for us. Absolutely. All right. Back to uh, Oregon defensively. I feel like Oregon's calling card has been the pass rush, but I don't know that they have the same front seven that they've had in the last couple of years. Uh, but you look at a guy like Dan Lanning, the head coach, the defensive guy from Georgia. Uh, this is going to be, I think they said, I was listening to some podcasts today from Oregon. They had six pressures on 20 pass attempts, which equates to, you know, a quarter of the time they get a pressure on a pass attempt. Of course, FCS, we're going to keep saying that they played Portland state. They didn't play a team, um, you know, a power five team, but a quarter of the time they get a pressure on quick releases. That's pretty good. Uh, if they could get half the pressures, if they could do 10% this weekend and get, you know, out of 47, you're doing the same kind of rate. That's going to be pretty good for Oregon. Yeah. A game that I want to watch, because I feel like you look more like them offensively was their bowl game last year against North Carolina. Um, you know, that's an offense that likes to air it out just like Texas tech. I, I, Watch the only one I was able to watch before recording this was Oregon, Oregon State from last year. But Oregon State was under center a lot. They kind of gave up throwing the ball and, and ran it down Oregon's throat. And you know, they're using one tight end, two tight ends. So I feel like that wasn't really a good look for what we'll see against Oregon on Saturday. The Portland State game, one thing that I noticed is that both of their corners play in press or close to it very often. You know, I'd like at most three yards off the outside wide receivers. And then to, to the boundary, it looks like they kind of stay in press coverage. And then to the field, sometimes the corner bails a couple seconds before the snap or at the snap. So that'll be something to watch as well. Um, can Jaron Bradley win those matchups? Is Shuck confident enough to throw it to a guy like Loic Fungi or J.J. Sparkman while they're covered up and hope that they make a back shoulder adjustment or win a jump ball? Because I don't think you're going to get a soft look at all on the outside. It's going to be press coverage. So those guys, and you know, not only getting off that coverage for their to start their routes, but if we are going to throw the ball sideline to sideline, run the ball, um, the corners are going to be right in their face when our receivers are trying to run block. So that's you've got two big, big body wide receivers out there. I'm curious how that matchup goes. Talking about throwing to the sideline. That's got to be a key to the game. You have to be on time to the sideline. Uh, that has been a struggle for Tyler Shuck, being in rhythm and on time. When he's in rhythm and on time, he's really good. The uh, second half against Oklahoma. Uh, you look at stretches where the offense has run really, really well under Tyler Shuck, the bowl game, on time to his receivers down the field. Uh, the first two drives on time, in rhythm against Wyoming. Uh, but you also have large stretches where he just doesn't feel comfortable. Um, I listened to another podcast today where they were talking about his time at Oregon, and they talked about him in close games where he just didn't feel like he had the it factor. Uh, and I do feel like that threw a bit of his time at Texas Tech, but otherwise uh, against Ole Miss, against Iowa State, where he didn't really move the ball but seemed like he had the it factor in a close game throwing the touchdown late. Uh, I don't know what, what Tyler Shuck is going to show up this weekend. 
That's a million dollar question in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I wonder what his mindset is like. I, I feel like this narrative has been played up that it's the revenge game that Oregon ran him off. Maybe that's true, but also by now it was three years ago. You know, he's in year three at Texas Tech. And so I'm curious what his mindset is like between the ears. You know, this isn't even the coaching staff that let him go. It's not the OC that let him go. Uh, I just wonder if maybe we're making too much of that. And, yeah, there's probably some kind of juice here because it's his former school. It's who he committed to out of high school. But I wonder and, – and I hope that – I don't want to say he's treating it just like any other game because it's a top 15 matchup. But I hope that he doesn't try to press too much or feel like he has something to prove in a way that forces him into bad reads, bad throws. Like I hope that he's he has the drive and the edge to him, but without it kind of going overboard and making this game into something that it, it shouldn't be. If Tyler Shuck is on social media, which I believe he is, but if he was on social media this week, there's plenty of uh, kindling to his fire. Uh, amongst Texas Tech fans and otherwise. So you heard him in the post game after Oklahoma saying there were people in this building that gave up on me. Uh, there are definitely fans calling for Morton. Is that another layer of fire that he can use this weekend? Uh, maybe even more relevant than the Oregon fire. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's not stupid. He knows that we have a blue chip guy who his position coach and his offensive coordinator said has arm talent comparable to Patrick Mahomes sitting right behind him. He's not oblivious to the fan sentiment or that the Wyoming loss was a bad loss. So again, it's like, is that, is that noise and pressure that makes you fold or are you going to do everything you can to win this game, scratch and claw to win the game by one point and shut everybody up. That was my, that was my line from, the Wyoming recap was shut up and show up. And Tyler Shuck's not the kind of guy to go on social media and flame a hater or put some cryptic tweet out there. I think for better or for worse, he's quiet on social media and hopefully he silences everybody, not by quote tweeting them, but by having a good game where he takes care of the ball, moves the offense down the field efficiently and hopefully beats his former team. Cause if he wins on Saturday, there's no quarterback competition and, Student section will storm the field, and we'll be right back on track where we were expectations-wise. We'll say, well, you know, bad loss week one, but we beat one of the best teams in the country week two, so we're not scared of anybody in Big 12 play. So I hope that's his mindset going in. Um, but, yeah, he's not hes not stupid. He knows the dynamic at play right now. It's just a matter of does that pressure, does that context make him play worse, or does it make him – does it fuel him to play even better? Right, do you have any other final thoughts on the Oregon game before we uh, move on? Just a couple stats on their defense. Again, last year, so they might be way better this year. Who knows? Um, they were 94th in points per play allowed last year. So bottom, I don't know, bottom quarter of the of the nation in that stat. Uh, Texas Tech was 80th, so not much better. And I had, I think I had their yards per play. That was points per play, and I apparently lost it. It wasn't good either. So the defense can be had, and even Portland State ran for 4.1 yards per carry against him. That's not stellar. But if I'm an Oregon fan, I'm looking for like one 
look, they won 81 to seven, but I blew, if I'm looking for like one potential red flag, it's okay. If they ran for four against us, can a power five team run for five against us? Cause that's where you could maybe find an issue with Oregon's defense. Um, so yeah, the, but the problem with that is like they gave up 20 something points, 30 something points in all these games, but they're scoring 40 plus in all of them. And so their defense can be had, or at least last year could be had. Uh, but again, their offense was just elite. Their quarterback is really good. It, it didn't matter. And they took care of the ball. So this is a game where I don't know if you can win it something like 27, 24 or something like that. But I also feel like Oregon is very comfortable in a shootout and it's going to be hard to beat them 45 to 41 or something like that. Um, so anyway, that, that's my only note on their defense. That their offense is much better than the defense. And that's how they won a lot of games last year. Uh, I'm going to save my score prediction for Friday night. You can give yours if you want, or you can save it for Friday night uh, at the blue light. Do you have a preference there? I'll give an initial one today when we make our picks. Okay. And then sometimes I waffle throughout the week and I think better of something or I learn something new. So I'll give an initial one today, but I reserve the right to adjust it a little bit at the blue light. You know, people say waffling is bad. You, you kind of uh, called me out for being a waffler the other day on Tyler Shuck. Um, I don't think – I think that's just learning new information. I think uh, I think that's a good thing. It is a good thing. I think reasonable people, when presented with new information, should not, – not only can, but should adjust their priors. Otherwise, you dig your heels in on something that is turning out to not be true. And I'm also uh, guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> and that was my beef with your waffling, was that you dug your heels in as long as you possibly could, and then when it, when it was apparent that – Shuck was 100% the start. You're like, well, yeah, I know I'm coming around on Tyler Shuck. And I was like, well, it's a little late for that. But I, was, I should have stayed on. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to talk a little basketball before we get into some picks and mailbags? Yeah, but we're you and I aren't beefing, are we? No, we don't beef. The no, only beef. Only... Were you going to say the only beef you want is that Reno barbecue? Yes, I was. <laughs> Me too. And I'm going to get some on Saturday at lunchtime, uh, I imagine with as many of our friends that we know are coming to Lubbock for the Tech Oregon game, imagine we'll have a couple cars in tow going out to Olton, or maybe if they're in Lubbock, I don't know, on Saturday. Um, but yeah, if you want to tag along, come out and grab the best lunch in West Texas on Saturday before the game. Doors open at 11. I would recommend getting there early because they do run out fast, but the beef is good. Better beef than Rob and I have. The sausage is good. The ribs are good. The turkey is good. I wonder if they're they can have any duck for us. I was thinking that if they were going to smoke a couple of ducks, that'd be smart. Anyway, give them a follow on social at Rahino BBQ, especially if you're coming this weekend and want to find out where potentially their food truck is going. Rahino Market is now open seven days a week, and you can order ahead at RahinoBBQ.com. We'll see you out there on Saturday, hopefully. Right at eleven, we'll be there. Hopefully, uh, as you said, in a caravan. All right. Some thoughts on the uh, Texas Egg basketball non-con. Some overall thoughts. I'm going to read the games real quick just so we can know what we're talking about. And then I know you have some thoughts, and uh, we'll get to them. All right. Texas A&M Commerce is the opening game. San Jose State, Texas A&M Corpus Crispy. Uh, the battle for Atlantis, Villanova is the first game. You could potentially play Northern Iowa or North Carolina in the second game. Uh, but some good opportunities there in the battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas. 
Butler, Omaha, Oral Roberts, Vanderbilt, Texas, um, UTA, Sam Houston, North Alabama. So there are still directional schools in the non-conference. But I would say this is a non-conference with a pulse uh, as opposed to the pulseless non-conferences you've been rolling out in the last five years. Exactly right. Um, The non-con schedules in years past were about half of them were schools I had never heard of. I think the last two years, each of the last two years, you played eight quad four games. And you don't know what quad somebody's going to be in when you schedule them, but like we're pretty sure that Villanova is not going to be quad four as often as North Alabama. Villanova is going to be quad four about 0.01% of the time. North Alabama about 90% of the time. And so the beef was not only does that hurt your NCAA tournament resume when you're on the bubble to get in, but if you're fighting for like, well, we can either be a four on the West Coast region or a three in Dallas where we'll pack out the stadium and you're going up against a team that only has three quad four games and the rest, you know, quad two, quad three, that hurts you. And so, I mean, it was just a, an absolute anchor on your tournament resume to play that many quad four games every year. And furthermore, it didn't help you in the sense that, okay, yeah, you went to Maui and you usually play one of these neutral side tournaments where there are good power six teams. But you just, when you go from quad four games straight into meat grinder, like at Lawrence, at Waco, in Ames, that is, it's hard to switch gears like that. Like, so this schedule, I feel like, allows you to ease into it. Yeah, you're not playing elite Big 12 teams in the non-con. But at least you're getting a look. Like, I remember doing scout team in high school when I was on, like, the freshman B team. I'm like, I'm not giving these guys a look like that. I might as well be a a six-year-old or something. So we're at least getting – you know, I've got their Ken Palm from last year, if you want me to run through that. Yeah, let's do it. A&M Commerce was 307. Probably going to be a quad four game. And and by the way, this this is last year. I'm just assuming the teams will be roughly similar, but of course it can change. Sure. San Jose State, 97. This is exactly the kind of game I've been begging for. It's not some blue blood program that's going to refuse to come to Lubbock, but it's also not quad four. This will be quad two. A&M Corpus Christi, Ken Palm, 176. But they made the NCAA tournament last year. They won their conference. So that's that's better than you have been doing. And also, by the way, I should clarify this. Ken Palm doesn't determine quads. That's net ranking, but usually Ken Palm and net are somewhat aligned. Villanova, they were Ken Palm 51 last year. That's at a neutral side. Very high likelihood this is actually a quad one game if Villanova can rebound a little bit. And then you have two games in the Battle for Atlantis tournament, TBD. But, again, these are – Typically, power six type programs are not going to be a drag on your resume. Butler was 119 in Ken Palm last year. That would be, I guess, quad two. And that's on the road. But, you know, if they if they jump up a little bit from 119, it could be a quad one game. Omaha, Ken Palm, 318. That's going to be quad four. North Alabama, 256. Going to be quad four. And I'm okay with a few of those. Oral Roberts was Ken Palm 72 last year. This is a team that's made the NCAA tournament multiple times in the last few seasons. Vanderbilt 81 at a neutral side at Fort Worth. Again, perfect game. 
play away from home, but not a true road environment, a team with a pulse that's probably not going to be a tournament team or a quad one game. UT Arlington is 241, probably going to be quad four. Sam Houston State, another one, perfect. Ken Palm, 73, they're not too good to come play you in Lubbock. You should have a game like San Jose State, uh, Sam Houston State, Oral Roberts, Vanderbilt. The non-con should be like half teams like that every year, in my opinion. And it's always been doable. We've just kind of refused to do it for whatever reason, and I did not agree with that scheduling philosophy. Somebody asked earlier, uh, I guess it was on the Rob Rush show earlier. You can watch those uh, right here on this YouTube channel, by the way, at Gambling Gauchos, youtube.com slash Gauchos. Uh, if this was a remnant schedule from the previous staff or if McGasland went and made this schedule, basketball schedules are every year. They're not remnants. This isn't uh, the last staff putting this together and McGasland having to do it. This is a McGasland schedule, and you're probably going to have an even tougher one next year. If you look at the schedules that uh, North Texas put together, he continually – and every year had a tough schedule in the non-con to prepare himself for Conference USA. I wonder the same thing. Like, did they try to beef up the entire thing? Could only get eight teams with a pulse, and so they're stuck with four or five quad one games. And, like, with a full year or full offseason next time, will they be able to get rid of even more of those quad four games? I'm all for it. And, again, I've said it a million times. I don't need Kentucky. I don't need Arkansas. You know, I don't need Gonzaga on here. I just need San Jose State. I need Sam Houston State. I need Butler. I need Vanderbilt. And I think that's doable. You know, get, heck, get North Texas. Get, um, I don't know, Tulsa, somebody from the American. Like, just get somebody who I know what conference they play in and I've heard of their school before. If, if those, if I can meet those two criteria, it's probably not going to be a quad four game. Yeah. Not uh, Eastern Illinois. Right. Or Southeastern West Louisiana. I did not know that North Alabama was a school until today when I looked at the schedule. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have a, a non-con prediction? 10 and three. Oh, let me look. That's a good question. I was leaning 10 and three. Yeah. So it's hard to say for sure with those two battle of Atlantis games. Right. Um, I think that's a good kind of like, I think two and a half losses is a good prop bet. Since so many of these, like Nova and Vandy are neutral site, the two more Atlantis games are neutral site, Butler's on the road. Because you're playing way more of these away from home, I would lean over on the two and a half. But I think that's a fair number of losses to set the line at. Yeah. Ten and three. I would be very happy with ten and three. I'd be happy with nine and four. Um just get to Big 12 play prepared. And I think you'll do that with this non-conference schedule. Agreed. All right. Uh, what else do we have today? I think that's all I have. Um, oh, I, one quick note, and then we can get to the Matador Transit mailbag. TV viewership. Some good, some bad. Well, actually, some some really good and, and some kind of bad. Colorado and TCU. Over 7 million. And yes, it was on over the air. But usually, you know, following that last year, like 2 to 4 million was kind of normal for two remaining Big 12 schools that played on Fox, ABC, um, somewhere like that. 
And so seven million. I know Coach Prime was a big part of that. TCU coming off the Natty appearance was a big part of that. That's a huge number. It was the most watched Saturday broadcast. Huge. La- Labor Day weekend is tricky because you've got Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and Monday games that have less competition. And so, like, the Clemson-Duke number isn't out yet. And Florida State LSU beat the Colorado TCU number. But $7 million among two teams that are going to be in the Big 12 in 2024 is massive. Um, Texas Tech-Wyoming, $1.4 million on CBS. Mixed feelings on this. Usually over the air, you'd want $2 million minimum. Um, but you're playing a group of five school later kickoff than anticipated. The the best comp I could find for that game last year was Arizona and San Diego State, also on CBS, and they filled the top one million. In fact, I think it was like eight hundred thousand, maybe nine hundred thousand. Um, and San Diego State was one of those group of five programs in the discussion to join the Power Five this last cycle of realignment. Wyoming was not in those conversations, so you certainly outperformed Arizona. In that respect, wish it could have been more, and I think it would have been a little more without the rain delay. Also wish that you would use your opportunity to be on CBS to notch a win in front of what will probably be one of your larger audiences this season. So that part, maybe that's silver lining. Fewer people watched than they otherwise would have, and that means fewer people saw the L. Um, UCF against Kent State and Houston at UTSA both got in the 300,000s. Uh, not not great for being on FS1. Not terrible, though, for playing a group of five opponent. And uh, BYU, Sam Houston State, same deal, FS1. I think they were 400-something thousand. Not great, but not bad given the opponent. I think I think BYU will do really well in the TV ratings when they start playing Oklahoma State and TCU, Texas Tech, all that. Uh, so anyway, kind of a mixed bag. It's so funny to me. I knew this was going to happen. But, you know, Texas and OU fans talk all offseason about how they hate being stuck in the Big 12. They just wish they could leave already. So I don't put them on the graphic. And then they're like, where's Texas and OU? OU got 900,000. I bet you'll put Texas next week when they play Alabama and get 10 I was like, no, I won't put Texas and OU there. No. I, I've moved on. Like, you're the crazy ex-girlfriend that is still clinging to this for some reason. So, no, go make your own graphic if you want to put Texas and OU on it and put them next to the SEC schools. We're focused on the Big 12. On to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. All right, let's do the Matador Transit mailbag. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a Tic Tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Is Oregon going to put up 50 on this defense? Follow up how many times? No, and I, I reject the framing of that question. Like, this defense is a huge liability. I gave them a B or a B-plus versus Wyoming. They gave up 20 points and 12 possessions. Oregon, a much better offense. Um, and, you know, I, I do have worries about the inside linebacker position without Jacob Rodriguez. But, no, I don't think it – I hope I hope I'm right here. I don't think Oregon is just going to, like, torch you up and down the field all night. I, I think they're going to get theirs. They always do. Uh, but, no, I don't think they'll put a 50-burger on you. 
Hopefully not. Uh, with Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor losing week one, will Texas finally be back? Well, we'll have a good litmus test for that when they play Alabama. They, I don't think Texas needs to win that game necessarily to be improved and to be a, a good team. But if they lose that game by 14, 20 points, they might struggle more than the hype would suggest. The spread is seven, though, so it, it's expected to be a pretty good game. If they cover the spread, it would be a really good game. And I think they could really build on that and would certainly be viewed as the Big 12 favorite if they uh, if they beat Alabama. Yeah, and both Baylor and Texas Tech have good opportunities to uh, bounce back themselves this weekend. We'll talk about that when we make our picks after this. Uh, worst feeling, Wyoming beating us or Kansas beating us in 2019, uh, Kansas? I've thought about this, and I think it's close. But the recency factor with Wyoming, if I think it's close now in the days after the Wyoming game, I, I think Kansas is probably worse. Because it – I don't know. You're a bigger favorite against Wyoming, but I think a lot of college football fans are almost like understanding, like, hey, Laramie is tough, highest elevation, all that. Losing to Kansas back then is just like a total meme. Like, Texas lost to Kansas. Ha, ha, ha. So, losing to Kansas, I, I felt that was like kind of rock bottom as a program. And how it happened. Yeah. Blocking the field goal, getting to go to overtime, and then just throwing it back to them so they could kick another field goal. Yeah, that sucked. Uh, Kyle, you shared the Wyoming postgame box score with expectancy with win expectancy. The biggest stat that jumped off the page was penalty yards. It's not a question for both of you. After seeing that report, do you feel more optimistic or more pessimistic going into week two than maybe you felt immediately after the game ended? So that's a good question. The, the postgame box score win expectancy but before I saw it published, I hypothesized it was it would probably give Tech about a 70% chance to win. And this is just when, like, some data analysts, all they do is look at the box score and then they give each team a percent chance to win the game based on the box score. Bill Conley had it at 83% postgame win expectancy for Texas Tech. And what I find interesting about that is that the spread being 13 and a half the implied odds would be that you'd win about 85% of the time. And so obviously the scoreboard did not reflect anywhere close to a 14 point margin, but that the post-game box score kind of had you exactly what the spread implied. I almost actually found a little bit of solace in that. I was like, okay, maybe that was just a really fluky game. And if we lined it up 50 times against them, we win 47 of them or, you know, whatever. And they just, the penalties and all that negated your advantage and yardage and all that. So it actually made me more optimistic. It was like, yeah, you, you still lost to Wyoming. Like your 0-1 doesn't change any of that. But like I would be more alarmed if the box score and the postgame win expects to show that like you just got outplayed by Wyoming. That would be like, okay, that's that's a different story. And it, it doesn't look like that's the case. Yeah, I'm more optimistic as well. And I think you're not going to have that penalty dis- discrepancy for 10 games this year. I mean, maybe maybe once or twice more, but – it was you were you were undisciplined, and I don't think Joey McGuire teams are built to be undisciplined. Yeah, they weren't last year. Uh, will the offense focus on tempo or shift gears to a true air raid for Oregon? I think we know the answer. They're going to go tempo. Yeah, tempo. Uh, I hate to even ask this, says the asker. Is Joey too positive 
that it has rubbed off on coaches and players alike? I don't think so. I think he's positive when he, whenever he's outward facing, but just like anecdotes I've heard from practice, like he, he'll get all over somebody if they deserve it. So I don't think he's just a, a guy that isn't hard on him when, when it warrants it. He just knows when he's in front of the camera, like he needs to maintain a positive demeanor. So no, I don't think that like in the locker room on the sideline, it's always hunky dory. I think he'll get on him when he needs to. Do you think this team ate the cheese a little bit? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Eating the cheese is an old Bill Parcells comment. Uh, we're eating the uh, the opposite of rat poison. Rat poison, yeah. Rat poison. Uh, sorry, now I'm in the correct channel. She got uh, hit for being in the wrong channel a little bit today. Uh, what was the body language of coaches, players, like on the sidelines in Wyoming? Was it disbelief, frustration? You know, I didn't focus on the sideline as much as on the field trying to watch the game, but you had a comment there. What was my comment in the Discord? Well, it's in the wrong channel, so I can't go back and look at it right now. But I, I don't remember what I said, but I, I remember looking at one point like when when things were getting tough in the third quarter, and it, it, it was like nothing. It, I didn't see guys like hanging their heads or whatever. Also didn't see guys trying to like fire anybody up. It was like everybody just kind of like standing there, almost like going through the motions. You know, they did like the towel waving and like jump up and down on kickoffs and stuff like that. Um, so I didn't notice like really good body language or really bad body language. It's kind of just, yeah, going through the motions. Um, I wish I had picked up on something more than that, but yeah, really, really didn't give an indication one way or the other. When was the last time you laughed so hard you couldn't breathe when you tried to do Christopher Walken? I don't know the last time I couldn't breathe, but I laughed really hard at, um, Said I was going to leave Wyoming in the past. I keep bringing it up, but the night that we were at the dance hall, and again, you know, we had been adequately served by this point, and at like one a.m. or whatever, we find out that Jimmy Buffett died. So R.I.P. Jimmy Buffett. I didn't know this until a day or two later, but I took a video of one of the picadors, my friend Ryan, and like there's green neon lights in the dance hall, and it's just a video of him going. Hey, like like Kawhi Leonard when they give him the mic at that rap. Hey, R.I.P. Jimmy Buffett, baby. And I was just like, I laughed so hard at that when I found it on my phone. Uh, so that's the most recent time I can remember, like really laughing pretty hard. Um, over under one and a half interceptions for Shuck this weekend. I'll say under, but he'll throw one. He'll throw one. Uh, red on staking the planes that Oregon replaced four or five offensive linemen. How do we stack up here? And are we better off than the Wyoming game? About the same as the Wyoming game. They replaced, uh, several as well. Yeah. I think they had three new starters in Laramie. So Oregon has four. And obviously, you know, you're, you can imagine Oregon is recruiting at a, in a much different pool than, than Wyoming. So it's going to be tough. I mean, like, and this is where maybe we were too hard on the pass rush because I think the pass rush was disruptive. They just didn't finish. Um, like they kind of collapsed the pocket and got it pushed sometimes. It was just that Peasley escaped when it counted and got a first down with his legs. And so um, I, I think that's a, a group, though, that has a lot to prove. Um, Oregon wants to run the ball more than they pass it, so it starts there, Start starts with stopping the run. But, yeah, when it's when it's a passing down and you've got a Heisman candidate back there, 
you know, he's, he's going to make the throws if he has time and if his guys are open. And so getting to him is going to be a huge factor in this game. Uh, what's the tougher game, 2022's NC State or 2023's Oregon? NC State because it's on the road. Yeah. And just looking at the spread, you were a pretty significant. I think it was 14 in, uh, it was over, in Raleigh. It was over 10 for sure. Maybe it was, maybe it was 10 and a half. Maybe it was 14 in the offseason. Uh, but yeah, this so that one might have moved down from fourteen to ten or ten and a half. This one moved from Oregon minus three to Oregon minus six and a half. And you're at home, of course. So I would still say that one's probably at the time with all the context was was a tougher game. Will Kit Lee finally run the damn ball against Oregon? Probably yeah. not, but I hope I hope he tries. You have the opportunity to. I think. I think so too. And I, I I think that to be successful on offense is kind of like boxing. Even if it's not your best punch, you have to hit some body blows. What specifically has to happen on the field this weekend, not just the win, to get hyped again for this season, to look competitive? I think it has to be a win, though. Like, I don't think anybody, if we lose, if we lose 41 to 38 on a last-second Oregon field goal, I don't think anybody's going to go, well – we gave it a good shot. Like I really think there's no scenario where you lose this game and feel like you're on an upward trajectory. And that, that might be harsh, but at the end of the day, if you're 0-2, no matter what it looks like, I think people are going to start asking for personnel changes, for philosophical play calling changes. I, I think that's just how it'll be. Uh, how big of a change do you expect to see in our offensive scheme this Saturday compared to what we saw against Wyoming? Uh, zero. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. But it's it's been 14 games under this coaching staff, and very rarely, even when the run is working, do you rely on it very often. So I think it'll be tempo. I think it'll be pass first. And if I had to guess, we will go three and out a couple times without really trying to run the ball. What is the realistic ceiling if the boys come out of this thing with a win? I think your realistic ceiling is that you just beat arguably the – well, probably not arguably, probably the second-best team on your schedule. And that the ceiling is that you win out at home the rest of the season. And I, I would say your ceiling in, in Big 12 play is like one loss. Yeah. I mean, you, you reset the expectations if you beat Oregon. If you beat Oregon, why can't you beat West Virginia, BYU, Kansas? And there's still some good teams in the Big 12, no doubt. Kansas State, I, I think TCU is better than what they showed against Colorado. So those aren't gimmies. But if you beat Oregon at home, why can't you beat Kansas State or TCU at home? Agreed. Uh, start bench process cut Donald Duck, Daffy Duck, Scrooge McDuck, and the Oregon Duck. Uh, firing puddles into the sun. I'll start Daffy, Bench Donald, Process, Scrooge. Can you do a Donald Duck? No. You don't even want to try? I don't think so. <laughs> I can't either. Uh, when we win on Saturday. Wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out. What? I started Donald Duck, right? Yes. That's That's Looney Tunes. Right, that's Bugs Bunny. No, Daffy Duck is Daffy Duck is Looney Tunes. Daffy and Bugs. 
Donald is with Mickey. He's the sailor looking. Yes. Okay, I flipped him in. I'm starting. I'm starting Looney Tunes. Daffy. Daffy. And Scrooge is the one that jumps into the money. Yeah. Uh, when we win on Saturday, what will we do first? Tomfoolery, hoodwinking, trolling, or buffoonery? I think none of the above. I think maybe little shenanigans would be in store. Shenanigans. That's a good word. Uh, start bench cut Baron Morton, the Red Baron, and Baron von Steuben. Who's Baron von Steuben? I don't know. I guess they, cut him. They want you to process Baron Trump. I'll, I'll start Baron Morton, bench Red Baron pizza. I think Red Baron was an okay frozen pizza when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. And then because I don't know the other guy or thing, cut it. Uh, what are the deets for Friday? Kyle, what are the deets for Friday at the Blue Light? Yeah, we'll be at the Blue Light. So Mason and the Gin Line is playing. They'll be opened up by Aiden Logston. And then we're doing a live show before the before the music starts. Doors open at 8. We'll probably go live at 8.45. Is it a $12 cover charge? $12 cover charge. So Friday night before the big game, hope to see you out there. A little bit of Texas Tech. Oregon talk, but mostly just some good West Texas music. We won't hog the stage, we promise. We'll go up and then get out of there and turn it over to the real reason why everybody are showing up. But yeah, if you haven't heard Mason in the Gin Line live, very good. And uh, we're honored to kind of be the warm-up act, I guess. Yeah, we're definitely the openers for uh, the, real, the real reason everyone will be there. Uh, why is Kyle an alpha male? Do you want to take that one? Uh, the follow-up is, is he listening to Andrew Tate again? Did the intervention not work? Why is it bad to be an alpha male in society today? Uh, it's toxic to be an alpha male, but I don't think that's wrong. Am I not an alpha male if I don't know who Andrew Tate is? Uh, no, I think that makes you more of a, an alpha male. Okay. Who is he? He's a podcaster. He's an alpha. Uh, He's an alpha podcaster. Oh, is he like a Sigma grind set guy? Like I work out 27 hours a day and also trade stonks and all that. Uh, he's more of a women suck kind of guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not down with that. <laughs> but I think the working out stuff is uh, big on his, his uh, to-do list. I follow a really funny Twitter account. I think it's just called like TikTok investors and it just compiles like really bad, usually illegal financial advice from Twitter. And it's always some like finance bro that, you know, squats 800 pounds and they're like, Hey, more power to you if you can do that. But it's always like, yeah, I start my day at three 30 AM by chugging a gallon of creatine. And then I bench 5,000 pounds and then I trade stocks for five minutes and become a millionaire. And then that's all I do with my day. So I don't know if it feels like one of those. Uh, the next question, more importantly, are the rumors true that Rob is actually a Sigma male? <laughs> Uh, no. Who wins their first natty first, Oregon or Tech? In football? Uh, I believe so. I guess I'll just say Oregon because of access uh, to the playoff once they go to the Big Ten and just recruiting prowess. You know, they're way more likely to get blue chip prospects, NFL prospects than Texas Tech. So I would say Oregon. They've been very, very close. 
They have been. They've been to a playoff. They've been to a playoff and lost in the national title game. They finished number two one season under Chip Kelly. They lost to Auburn in the national title game in a different season under Chip Kelly. So they've been very, very close. They've been one of the top three teams in college football at least three times in the last 10 or 12 years. If Texas Tech beats Oregon in triple overtime, should Hayden Wigington write a song about it? Yeah. Absolutely. What would you call that song? Something about the uh, the lights in Lubbock? There's already some Texas country songs about Lubbock lights. That's true. Lonely Lubbock lights? I would just make a big play on ducks, mm. like ducking something or – Ducking something. You know, like when you're like, hey, they don't want to schedule us in the non-con or they're ducking us. I got it. Something like that. And then you can talk about the animal, the duck. You could – Say what the duck. Do the parlay picadors need a weekly parlay during the football season? Like a 12-leg all chalk can't miss parlay? I think so. I think we need it. Uh, Baron von Steuben is the German noble who trained American soldiers at Valley Forge. Okay, well, that's important. So I guess I'm forced to move him up and move down the frozen pizza brand. But still starting Baron Morton. Yeah. I'm going to clip that and put it out. Okay. Start Baron Morton. Uh, All right. That's all the questions in the mailbag. You want to make some picks? Let's do it. We need a pick drop. We don't have one. Correct. So should we just do it? Yeah, let's just do it. What? Oh, never mind. First one is Friday night, Illinois in Lawrence. Jayhawks favored by three. Jalen Daniels reportedly playing. Total is 58. You have a pick on either of those? Yeah, I'll take the the under in a surprise. This is in Lawrence? Yes, sir. I'll I'll take the Jayhawks to cover. Give me the Illini. 11 a.m. in Waco, Utah, 14th-ranked Utah, seven-and-a-half-point favorites over Baylor without Blake Shapin. So Lubbock Coronado's very own Sawyer Robertson getting the nod. I think a fairly low total at 47. you have a play on either the spread or the total? I will take Utah to cover. I I just think Baylor's bad. I'm going to pick Baylor. One last hope that Aranda isn't a bit of a bust without McGuire. But if they can't rebound, if they can't run the ball, if their line still stinks, then they might not be very good this year. Yeah. I watched the Texas State highlights, and it was it was crazy. Like, Texas State was just a better team. Texas State was bigger, faster, stronger. They, they replaced 50 of their players at a lower level. They did that, and Baylor went to a Sugar Bowl two years ago and yeah. won the Sugar Bowl two years ago. Yeah. Insane. Troy at Kansas State. The Wildcats, 16 and a half point favorites. Total is 51 and a half. Uh, give me the over in this one. Same thing. I actually don't 
the the spread makes me a little bit uneasy, but I think they will go over. The Cyhawk trophy is up for grabs. Matt Campbell won it for the first time last year in Kinnick Stadium. This year, Iowa favored by four on the road in Ames. The total is 36 and a half. Are you brave enough to take the over? Under <laughs> in Iowa. I think I said four. It's three and a half. If you were going to take him at four, you'll love him at three and a half. I, my gut says Iowa. The analytics say Iowa State. And I will have the analytics post up on the Patreon. $5 a month, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. I just don't, I think I'm not sold on Iowa State. They they handled you and I pretty well, which we think you and I is a tough FCS team. But I don't know, man. I think maybe Iowa has a more competent quarterback than they've had in years past. Three and a half isn't a ton. I think I'm leaning Hawkeyes as much as I hate to say it. Oklahoma hosts SMU. So an ACC opponent rolling into Norman. The Sooners are 16-point favorites. Total is 68-and-a-half. I mean, I'll take Oklahoma to cover. They look really good the first two games. Agreed. For their first game. Did they play week zero? They just played one game? Yeah. I feel like Oklahoma's played twice already. Lincoln played week zero. Oh, that's what it was. Cincinnati looked really good against Western Kentucky, but it was Western Kentucky. They are getting seven on the road at Pitt. The total is 46. You buying into Cincinnati based on what you saw week one? I would like to. I think Cincinnati being better than advertised would be good for the Big 12, um, at least in their non-con, but – I also don't know what – I don't know anything about Pitt, really. So, Pitt's getting seven? Pitt is giving seven. Giving seven. I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take Cincinnati to cover. I think so, too. Um, First-year head coach, Scott Satterfield. Satterfield or Satterwhite? Satterfield. I think that's right. Coming from the ACC, so he's seen Pitt before, I would imagine – might be a little more prepared than a different first-year coach in the same spot. I'm with you. I think I like what I saw from the Bearcats week one, getting a full touchdown. I'll take it. Texas on the road at Alabama. This one is going to get all the headlines and attention, deservedly so. Playoff implications, two of the sport's biggest brands. Longhorns plus seven. Total is 54. I, okay. I would love for Alabama to Arkansas them uh, with a welcome to the SEC moment. Uh, That happened two years ago when Texas played Arkansas right after they announced. Um, I just don't know. I I know Alabama is much better at home. That is historic under Nick Saban that they are very, very good at home and not as good on the road, but still very good on the road. Um, that was a close game last year. In fact, 
a penalty or two going the other way gives Texas the win. So I want to say that this game will be close, but you know what? I'm going to do it. Let's get let's give Texas the cover. Hate to say it, but I agree with you. This is a spot where Texas, as disappointing as they've been to their fans over the last decade or so, they play up in spots like this. They did it to Alabama last year. They do it to OU. Most seasons, even when OU is favored in that game, they did it to Georgia with Ellinger. I because I, I could even see this if it's if it's 33 to 20 with the clock winding down, they get a garbage time touchdown. They could almost even backdoor cover this. Last year, everybody was on Bama. I thought that they would just roll them and Texas played up. Even when Quinn Ewers got hurt partway through the game. I'm not convinced Bama has quarterback play like they've had. When you go from Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young, you're due for a fall off. Even this, even if this gets pretty good, you know, those three were elite. So and Jalen Hurts before that. Give me Texas plus seven. All that to say Texas plus seven. And would love to be wrong. Yeah, I would also love to be wrong. What's the Houston versus Rice rivalry name? Is that the Bayou Bucket or something? I don't know. Is it? Something like that. I didn't know they had a trophy. Will you Google it real quick? Yeah. Houston is nine and a half point favorites. They're traveling to Rice. I mean, they play in the same city, but it's in Rice's stadium. Total is 52 and a half. Of course, Houston coming off the win over UTSA. And Rice coming off the 37 to 10 loss to Texas. JT Daniels versus Donovan Smith. Kind of an interesting quarterback matchup there. I I picked Houston. Both teams have been tested this year. I just kind of doubt that Rice is very good. And I think Houston can win by at least 10. In men's basketball, it's called the Bayou Cup. Uh, Houston leads that series 65 to 18. Yeesh. I thought it was the Bayou Bucket, but I might have in, in football, it is the Bayou Bucket Classic. Okay. Uh, it's the longest-running competition between the two institutions. It's a full-size trophy with a golden bucket on the top. I did not know that. Not, uh, not up on my Houston-Rice uh, rivalry, I guess, but I'll take Houston. UCF travels across the country to Boise. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites against Boise State. Total is 61. I'm on UCF here. I think they were certainly undervalued against Kent State in hindsight. And they've actually, if you pay attention to the like Big 12 analytics, they've shot up into like the Kansas State tier right behind Texas and OU after week one. So if that's true, I think they might be like a TCU or Kansas from last year. They were undervalued the first five or six weeks of the season. I like them here, and I think they not only will be the best of the newcomers, I think they might be a problem even with the K-State's TCUs of the Big 12. I think they're going to be a really competitive team this year, but I'll take them to cover the three and a half. Yeah, I agree, and I agree with that line of logic. Oklahoma State goes to Tempe to face off against first-year head coach Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State, former Oregon offensive coordinator. We don't know if they have a starting quarterback yet or if they're going to keep rotating all three my offer to bet any Pac-12 homer, whatever they want, that this game outdraws the other Pac-12 late-night games over the last five years still stands. 
that's beside the point. Oklahoma State, three-point favorites. The total is 56.5. Both of them looked kind of sluggish against FCS competition, so I'm not quite sure what to make of this. I guess it's a good opportunity for whoever wins this game to notch a Power 5 win because I don't think either one of these teams is very good. Do we have a starting quarterback for Oklahoma State either? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I, I don't think – I don't know if we know. Okay. I didn't know if that was an Arizona State thing or an Oklahoma State thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, go Big 12. Okay. <laughs> I don't really I, – I wouldn't bet that game and I wouldn't pick it, but sure. Yeah, me neither. BYU and West Virginia and TCU are all playing FCS competition. There's probably a line out there. I don't see one on action. Don't really care to pick against a 38.5-point spread anyway. So that leaves us with Texas Tech and Oregon. This hovered around three, three-and-a-half all offseason. I thought it would close close to a pick after you beat Wyoming. The exact opposite happened. It's now six-and-a-half. Pretty good size total here, 68-and-a-half. I, are you going to make a pick now, or do you want to save it for blue light? I'm going to save it for the blue light. I've picked Oregon minus six and a half. I just don't see a way that you're constructed to beat them. And that sounds very pessimistic. I've just, from what little I know of Oregon looking at them, I don't know what three or four things you can do to successfully beat them. I mean, they, they got their ass kicked by Georgia last year. Everybody did. But after that, they were really good. They were a tough out. They lost a couple games by a few points against other good teams. They scored on everybody. They moved the ball on everybody. If there's if there's a ray of hope, I think you win the penalty margin by a good amount, and you have to win the turnover margin by at least two. And they rarely turn the ball over more than once as it is. So you got to play a really clean game and then turn them over two or three times, which is going to be really hard to do, especially if you don't have a pass rush like you did last year with Tyree Wilson, especially with Jacob Rodriguez out. Like if some of those red flags that popped up against Wyoming aren't resolved very quickly, I just don't see how it happens. So I'm, I'm disappointed to say that because I thought this was a winnable game in the offseason. But with the one-week sample size, with the injuries and all that, I am inclined to take Oregon minus six and a half. I don't think that's a bad pick, Kyle. But maybe I'll change my mind by Friday night. You'll have to come to the blue light to find out. What are we doing at the blue light? <laughs> Third time's the charm here. Uh, <laughs> doors open at 8, live show at 8.45, then Aiden Logsdon, and then Mason in the gin line. Be a good time, $12 cover. Come come meet us, come shake our hand. Uh, that's one of the funnest things about doing the podcast when we get to meet other Red Raider fans. And who knows? Maybe it will blossom into a road trip to an out-of-state non-conference game in a few years. And hopefully it goes better than the one in Laramie. But, Rob, you know I've made a ton of friends off the internet and just meeting listeners in person. So, anyway, if you follow along, if you listen, come out to the Blue Light if you're in Lubbock on Friday night, and we'd love to get the chance to hang out with you. Should be a hell of a time. And uh, somebody asked in the mailbag after we were finished with the mailbag if there were going to be any drink specials. Um, we can ask. That, that would be something to do. Maybe have a... The Gauchos. Uh, well, we, we we did the uh, what was it? The Pirates. The swing your sword. The swing your sword there at the uh, the Bell Station. And we had yeah. uh, Chilton, which they have at the uh, the Blue Line. 
Maybe we just do uh, pickle burns and call it a day. Yeah, maybe so. All right. Uh, that's all I got. The final thought. Uh, come see us at the Blue Light. Should be a good time for me. Uh, hopefully for you as well, Kyle. I, I think uh, I think that's a really exciting opportunity and can't wait to see you all there. Do you have some final thoughts? Yeah, I'm trying to find a good one. This might be a good one for Saturday. Okay. To be a hero, hang on for a minute longer. Mm. To be a hero, hang on for a minute longer. For a game longer, for a minute longer. Because there might come a time in the game, early fourth quarter, where we think we're up against that wall. Hang on for a minute longer. Maybe we can out-tough Oregon. They're, they got to get dressed in their fancy uniforms and porta potties, basically. Maybe that gets in their head. Maybe they're not very tough. That's kind of Oregon's identity. It's like flashy. It's pretty, but it might not be tough. And I know we feel like we got out tough by Wyoming. But if we're the toughest, hardest working, most competitive team in the country and we're primed for a bounce back, maybe that's along with the penalties and turnovers where you can find an edge and just say, welcome to Texas. It's 105 degrees down on the field. Your uniform that you put on in a rent-a-shack looks great. But now it's time to play football. Amen. Let's do it. All right. Shut up and show up. Shut up and show up. Love y'all. Love y'all.